0: Good morning, Chapel Hill. All right, Well, this is happening, we're going to do Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to get one too. So go ahead and put your hand up if you don't have a Bible, because you're going to need one to follow along, and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use for the service today. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles right now and you do not have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you received this morning. Um, as you can see, the Bible's kind of important to us. Um... David, you totally caught me off guard with that. <laughs> and you kind of wrecked me, so thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> I, <didn't, laughs> I got overwhelmed there because I've, I've been in that place before where we've been right there when the first copy has come out and have seen that happen. And the... <sighs> I can't imagine... Not having a Bible in my language. So far beyond comprehension to me. And so praise God for those who are working to get God's word into the hands of the people that God has created. And then, so throw that in with my two oldest moving up to middle school and and being able to write in their Bibles and, and see them handed to them and know the value that the word has for them already. Um... Yeah, this is, this is kind of a big deal. So, bear with me. I'll get it back together here. Um, one thing that I want to uh, just bring your attention to this morning and ask your prayers for uh, is for the Montgomery family. Um, Kelly Montgomery. Kelly, would you stand up? I'm going to put you on the spot. This is Kelly right here. Um, Kelly is heading out this Thursday um, to, uh, to join YWAM. Uh, some of you are familiar with YWAM. And she is going to Montana for a discipleship training school. And she's going to do that for three months and then head overseas to Southeast Asia and take the gifts that God has given her in dance along with other things that that team will have to bring the gospel to that part of the world. And so um, please give her a word of encouragement before she leaves today and uh, keep her in your prayers. And that's exactly what we need to do right now. Will you pray with me? Father, we are standing here before you today so grateful for all that you're doing, for uh, the ways that you are impacting this world through us, through your children, through your family, through your church, through the living stones that you have chosen to represent you here on earth. Father, we praise you for what's happening with our kids. and. Just for this, this simple step of getting a Bible in their hands. And, and uh, God, I just pray that that would become their most valuable possession. That they would dig into the word. That they would find you there. That they would find answers for life there. That they would find encouragement. That they would find their identity. That we, they would find that blueprint that you've given us for how to live. And Father, I lift up the parents of each one of those kids that got their Bibles today. God, will you help us? Will you use us to guide our kids into your word? To guide them to you. To guide them to your words that will create flourishing in them. And will it, Father, just become so much a part of our family life that your light shines brighter and brighter through us all the time? Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We lift up Kelly to you and what lies ahead for her and just ask that you would put your hand on her, that you would guide her every step, that you would provide everything that she needs for this mission mission that she's going on. Um, That you would give her a great landing in Montana. That she would be able to to see you everywhere she is. That she'd be able to connect well with the rest of her team and the others that are there at the YOM base. And um, God, just lead her into what you have for her. Strengthen her, encourage her, protect her. And walk with her, Father, every step of the way. So, Lord, we come now to your word again. And ask that you would speak to us through, and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn to the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. This is where we've been studying, this is where we're continuing to study, and if you're new with us or visiting us this morning, don't worry about being clueless as to where we are it just every time we open up a passage or a verse or even a word out of the bible it stands on its own and it has so much to say to us and we're going to do that again this morning just see what it has to say to us Last week, we looked at 1 Peter 3, verse 8, and this is what it said. This is what Peter wrote there. He said, finally, all of you, he's been talking to servants and husbands and wives and all that, and now he says to the churches all over, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, have sympathy for each other, compassion for each other, brotherly love for each other, live like a family ought to live, and a tender heart forgiving one another, being, allowing each other to make mistakes, but being there and not letting that relationship diminish in any way, and a humble mind, a reasonable assessment of who you are. We're going to move forward this morning into a statement that Peter makes about our actions. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. That's today's passage. Four verses. Tell me if I'm going too fast. Four verses. 1 Peter 3, verses 9 through 12. This is what Peter writes now. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right, this morning I put this passage together for us to study. This morning I decided we were going to study these four verses together for a reason. It stands out to me as kind of being a thought. It's a thought that Peter had and that he fleshed out in four verses, but it kind of stands on its own as that one thought. It's set up in verse 9, and then Peter quotes something. And Peter obviously knew the scriptures very well, and so he quotes Psalm 34 verses 12 to 16 in this passage that we're looking at. And I hope and I pray that our kids develop that kind of connection and that kind of love for God's word. And then it comes out of them when they speak to others, when they shine God's light into this world. What I want to do this morning is is look at this passage from the inside out. What is at the core of this message and then how does that core affect or influence or drive the rest of the passage that's that's laid out in these four verses this morning. And so what stands out to me as the core of this passage is summed up in two words that are there. Love, life, love, life. These are two very critical words, and I want to break them down for you. Love in this sense is the love that we've talked about many times. Peter's writing about agape love, but this time he's not writing about agape love in a relationship context. He's not writing about agape love when it comes to interacting with each other. Now he's talking about an agape love towards our lives, for our lives. He's, he's challenging us to agape love our life. And it's a pretty bold statement. It means, when it's used in that context, to be well-pleased or content with something. And so Peter's saying we should have this desire in us to love life, to be pleased with life, to be content with our lives. And so he uses those two words, love, agapeo, and life. And the Greek word there is zoe, and it's, there's a definition from the word study that I did on this word that I want to read to you because I think this, this sums it up. We, we have probably a hundred different definitions of life in this room just hearing that term love life. We've all got our idea of what that might be talking about. So here it is from the original Greek, and here's just a great definition of what this word life means. This is talking about life real and genuine A life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion, even in this world, of those who put their trust in Christ. But after the resurrection, to be consummated by new accessions, among them a more perfect body, and to last forever. This is Peter's definition. This is the word that he uses to describe the life that we are to love And so let me ask us a question this morning. Is this the life that we love? Is this the life that we love? Have we put this out there as something that we desire? We desire to love that life, the life that Christ came to give us, the abundant life. Is that the life that we love? Or do we love the get everything you can while you have a chance life? Do we love that you only live once life? Is that the one that we love? Do we love the life that our culture places before us? Or do we love the abundant life that Jesus came to give us? Do we desire to love life? I think we do. I, I sat and thought for just a few minutes about... This question and, and my, my answer in my head and in my heart was a resounding yes. Yes, I love this life and I desire to love this life even more. The life that Christ has given me. The new life that I was born into again. Why? Well, for starters, because it's eternal and I no longer have to fear the end of this life That's why I love this life. Why? Because it makes sense of the temporal. It makes sense of what we're doing and experiencing right now while we're walking on this earth before we die. It makes sense of that when I look at the life that Christ brought to me. Why? Because it gets my attention off myself. And I can look at other things, I can focus on God, I can focus on others and not worry about myself because I'm content, pleased, well pleased with the life that Christ brought me, that he gave to me. Why do I love it? I love it because it's not about what's fair for me. I don't have to go out and sort that out. Find what's fair for me. Fight for what's fair for me. I have someone who's fighting for me. Not only is he fighting for me, but I love this life because now God is my provider. I am not. The pressure's off me because God provides for me. I love this life because I can now see who people will be, not just who they are now. That's what this life has brought me. I love this life because I'm never, ever alone. And the list goes on and on and on. So the core of this message of these four verses is the idea of loving life and seeing good days. That's what he says in verse 10. And I want to see this passage then visually from the inside out. And so I want to just look at it as a simple diagram. And at the core of this diagram, put what we just talked about. The desire to love life is critical. This is a value. This should be a value for us. And if this value is present, it will affect every aspect of our lives. Whether or not we're content or well-pleased with life depends significantly on whether or not a desire for the life Jesus came to bring us is present in us at a core level. Is it that important to us? Is that a core value that we love the life that Christ has brought us and we desire to see good days because those come by God's definition, with the life that Christ brought us. This value then affects our decisions. That's the next layer that I see in this passage. Peter says in verse 11 that if someone desires to love life, they will make it their goal to seek peace and pursue it. They'll base their decisions on the goal of seeking peace. They'll seek peace because they desire to love life and see good days. And note the contrast here between what Peter says it takes to love life and see good days and what our culture or this world says it takes to love life and see good days. This is very different than seeking pleasure or comfort or security in order to love life and see good days. This is the level on which we make our decisions. If loving the life that the world has to offer is our desire, our core value, then the next layer of our diagram would more likely say something like seek pleasure and pursue it. Then how much of our time, energy, and resources do we spend seeking and pursuing self-gratification and comfort and security? If that's what we're seeking, then that's how we'll make our decisions. Paul points out in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Seeking and pursuing peace has to be our guiding force in life if we're going to carry out the ministry that we have been given by God, the ministry of reconciliation. Providing myself with ongoing pleasure is not my ministry. That's not what I was created for. My ministry is creating peace between myself and God, Peace between myself and others, peace between others, and peace between others and God. That's the ministry of reconciliation. We've looked now at the values level, we've looked at the decisions level, now let's talk about the action level, our actions. Peter has some instruction for the church in this passage. He gives us some do's and some do nots. And I want to remind you of something here. There are many, many instruction verses in the Bible. We know that. We get criticized uh, as the church for that. We get criticized because, oh, it's all about rules. It's all about all these do this and do not do that. We struggle sometimes with the mass quantity of do's and do nots. However... God does not give us instruction without being deeply concerned about our values and decisions and how those affect our actions. God always speaks to those things. He always goes deeper, always goes to the core. And this passage is a great example of that. And there's another one more idea related to this that I'll touch on at the end. Loving life is at the core. Seeking peace and pursuing it is what will direct our actions. And now, what are those actions? What do people who love life and seek peace do? How has their core value affected their decision-making? What kind of actions have their decisions led them to? Let's look at the do-nots first. Peter writes about three of them. He says in verse 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Do not repay someone who has harmed you with harm. Do not repay someone who has criticized you or complained about you with criticism back or complaining against them. This is not the path to peace. This is not the ministry of reconciliation. This will not lead to loving life, nor is it evidence of a desire to love life. In verse 10, Peter says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So more than just acts of evil, Peter addresses evil words as well. Our language should be free of evil words. We should not conceal or misrepresent the truth with our words. That's deceit. This is not seeking peace. This is not evidence that we desire to love life then in verse 11, he says, let him turn away from evil. Do not seek or pursue evil. Turn your back on evil. These are all actions. These are actions that we are not to do. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Do not speak evil or deceit. Do not seek or pursue evil. Why not? Because we're seeking and pursuing peace. And why are we seeking and pursuing peace? Because we desire to love life and see good days. Let's switch to the do's. God's children are not defined simply by what we won't do, they're also defined by what we do. And we do good things. So Peter makes this clear in this passage as well. In verse 9, he simply says, Bless. Bless, for to this you are called. Give people a blessing. Praise them. Praise others. Celebrate them with praises. This is to be our attitude towards others. Praise them. Acknowledge their value. Honor them. Now that the banners are gone, you have to remember this on your own. Honor everyone. (laughs) Let them know that they're favored in God's eyes. They are loved by him and valued by him and by us. Then in verse 11, simply says, do good. Turn away from evil and do good. Move away from evil words and actions towards good words and actions. There's no room for revenge here. Do good. Speak good. Do what is useful, excellent, distinguished, upright, honorable. Those are the things we are to do. On the actions level, we're called to avoid certain things and do certain things in this context that Peter's talking about. And Peter has already given us, he's already given us a model of this. An amazing model of this. Back in First Peter 2, verses 22 and 23, this is what Peter wrote. He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There's a key point in there. God judges justly. We don't. God, the perfect judge, is calling us to leave the judgment to him. He's calling us to not revile, to not speak deceit, to not threaten. He's shown us that in the example of Jesus Christ. We've seen this lived out in a very powerful way the past few weeks in an extremely heartbreaking story in the news. Um, It's impossible to miss this story in the news, the story of Jacob Wetterling and all that's gone on with discovering how he died and who his killer was and all that stuff. This has been going on for a long time. I listened to the description of how he was killed, spoken by his killer. And the realization that Jacob's mother was there listening to those same words has called up all kinds of emotion in me as I try to put myself in her place or in Jacob's place. And I have two 12-year-old boys. And the emotions that this has called up in me as a father are not the emotions that Peter is writing about. Because the thoughts I've had towards this man who did this have not been honorable in any way. Because I think I know what should be done to him. And some of those things I think I should do myself. And so, based on the confession of the killer and on hearing the details of the murder, there are certain characteristics of that family's response that I expected to see and hear. But those expectations were never met. Instead, did you see how Patty Wetterling responded? I read you part of her response to the world as people everywhere extended their sympathy and support. Right after hearing how her son was murdered, Patty said this. Everyone wants to know what they can do to help us. Say a prayer. Light a candle. Be with friends. Play with your children. Giggle. Hold hands. Eat ice cream. Create joy. Help your neighbor. That is what will bring me comfort today. Peter wrote this letter to a group of churches facing intense persecution for their faith. Many among them had already lost loved ones for the sake of the gospel. Peter himself had endured more than you or I will ever face because of our faith. Yet this is what he writes. And then Peter ends this thought with words that should motivate us very effectively. In verse 9, Peter mentions that we are to bless others. He says, to this you were called. And he gives us a look at the outcome of that calling. He says, that you may obtain a blessing. Then in verse 12, Peter adds some substance to that blessing that we are meant to obtain. He describes it this way. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous And his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is our father's response to his family living out their character and the image in which they were made. The desire to love life leads to a powerful force driving our decision-making, seeking peace, and pursuing it. That seeking leads us to action, and we intentionally choose to bless and not to retaliate, not to take vengeance. We speak blessing and we carry out blessing. And what is the blessing that comes from all this blessing? We get blessed. By whom? By our Father. And please note what this means. The word translated bless has this deep, significant meaning. To be blessed. By God to inherit the blessing that he has chosen for us means that God actually praises us. God expresses to us the value that he sees in us. He consecrates us. He sets us apart for himself. He looks us over and he says, that one's mine. Interestingly, the Greek word for blessing here is the word that we get our English word eulogy from. It's eulogia. God uses elegant language to commend us. Can you imagine God doing the eulogy at your funeral? I know that fear that comes to mind. No, he would not dig up my flaws and display them for all to see. He would praise me. He would praise you with elegant language. Okay, but how about right now? Why do we have to wait for the blessing to come at our funeral? We don't. It's not what this means. God's blessing is obtained now for those who have a desire to love life, the life that Christ brought us, that he purchased for us. And here's how. Peter describes it himself in verse 12. He says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God is watching over us now. And he says his ears are open to their prayers. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. God hears our prayers and has a real personal relationship with us through those prayers, through that communication. That's not something we want to jeopardize in any way. And since prayer is a two-way experience, God also speaks to us in prayer through his spirit. There really can't be anything in life that means more to us than obtaining God's blessing. And the Bible gives us plenty of direction on how that happens. Let's live the way we are called to live. Seek what we are called to seek. And let's love the way that we are created to love. It may not be perfect now, but Peter has reminded us this morning that even in the midst of an imperfect human existence, we were called to obtain God's blessing today. Chapel Hill encourage each other in this. There are some do's and do nots in God's word, but they're there for a reason. They're there as a reflection of the values that we hold as God's children. They're there to show us what life looks like for people who seek peace and pursue it. They're there to lead us to the blessing that God has created for us and that he wishes to give us. God, our good, good father, wants to give us good things, great things. He wants to give us a blessing. And so Peter says, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Church, two words for you. Love life. Love life. God's given you a new one. He's given me a new one. And it's lovable. It's an amazing thing. Love that. Love that life. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now. And we're going to pray to close things out. And after we pray, I'm going to give some instruction On the potluck that's following this. I hope you stick around. Great opportunity to connect with each other really well. Let's pray together, okay? Father, sometimes when we look at our circumstances, it can be really difficult for us to hear the words love life. Because there's a lot about the, the life that this world offers us, this earthly life, that's not lovable. But the life that you have given us through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, oh, that's something we can love. So God, will you help us individually and as a church? To desire to love life. That life. To put it first. God out of that desire. Grow in us. A strong passion to seek peace. In our lives and lives of others. Do that in us father. And I ask that you would guard our actions. The words that we speak. The things that we do. God we desire to turn from evil and do good. We desire to not lash out in vengeance. But to bless. Because you said that in that blessing you will bring us a blessing. We will obtain the blessing that you have for us. Guide us there father. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen.